0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the scriptures with us as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. We've been suggesting that there's a very narrow way to salvation outlined by the teaching of Jesus and fully corroborated by the teaching of all of the apostles in the New Testament, and that road to salvation is via the message which Jesus proclaimed as the gospel, the gospel about the kingdom of God. The germ of immortality must be transmitted from the preacher to the believer, and this process can happen when Jesus' message about the kingdom of God is faithfully transmitted to the convert. The seed which must be sown in the heart of the believer is called by Jesus the message about the kingdom, We will find that plainly stated in the middle of the parable of the sower, or soils, in Matthew 13, verse 19. In that precious verse, Jesus said, The seed is the message about the kingdom, and that message must take root in the heart of the potential convert. Meanwhile, Jesus pointed out that the devil is there ready to snatch that message away from the heart of the believer, so that he may not believe it and be saved. We find those additional words in the parallel to the verse in Matthew 13:19, namely Luke 8, verse 12. We recommend a careful meditation and study of those precious verses, Matthew 13, verse 19, and Luke 8, verse 12. Straight from the mouth of Jesus there comes an extraordinarily brilliant insight, namely that the devil knows where the damage has to be done. And the damage which the devil tries to inflict upon the work of Jesus and his apostles is precisely at the point where the message, the saving message of the gospel, tries to move from the Bible itself into the heart and mind of the convert. Jesus knew that his gospel, what he called the seed, the message about the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom, that seed must take root in the heart of the believer so that the process of salvation and immortalization in the future kingdom can begin. According to Jesus, there is no other message than the message of the kingdom, his own gospel, which he and the apostles preached, which can possibly transmit the essential and vital seed of immortality. That's why the late George Ladd in his Theology of the New Testament points out that from Jesus' point of view, society is divided into two Antithetical camps. The one camp are those who have accepted and understood and received the gospel about the kingdom of God, and the other camp are those who have not received that message or do not know about it. Jesus saw the acceptance of his message of the kingdom as the absolutely indispensable element in the initiation of the salvation process. It was reception of that seed, the message of the kingdom which determined whether a person was inside the circle of Jesus and his followers, or still on the outside. Now Jesus went on to teach that once that seed has been sown in the heart and mind of the believer, it must be cultivated so that it can bear fruit. Now this being true, the early church proclaimed the kingdom just as Jesus had. They made sure that the kingdom message had been grasped, and then they baptized the convert. And so in Acts 8 and verse 12, we have a very simple formula, a kind of early creed showing how people became members of the church body at that time. In Acts 8:12 we read this. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, that's to say everything that Jesus stands for, they were getting baptized, both men and women. Acts 8, verse 12 you might put yourself in the place of that audience. Can you say that you've accepted the message about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus? In which case then you're ready to be baptized if you're following the standards of the New Testament canon. Now the Bible teaching has a definite mold or shape to it. We might call this a messianic, apocalyptic shape. That's hardly surprising because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and so his message is messianic. His message is also highly apocalyptic. That has to do with the divine intervention in the future by which God, sending Jesus, will restore the kingdom of God on the earth. Unfortunately, there's another Greek philosophical mold through which the teachings of Jesus were run in the second century, in post-biblical times. No wonder then that the faith came out bearing a different shape. Our problems today, little known to many churchgoers, are simply that we've tried to mix that Greek philosophical mold with the original messianic mold of Jesus, and those two elements are incompatible. They don't mix well together. The one confuses the other. What we need to do is to get rid of the Greek element, the alien Greek element, which has installed itself as a usurper in the midst of the biblical faith. The Platonized Christianity of many of the denominations since the second century promotes a present kingdom It speaks of the kingdom of God as mainly in the present And it speaks then also of a destiny for Christians which has to do with departing as a disembodied soul to heaven at death Now Jesus did not teach these things and would have rejected them as dangerous counterfeits Tragically the denominational system in many cases seems unable to give up its cherished Gnostic and Platonic ideas, and often it merely twists the model of the Bible to fit its non-Messianic understanding. Thus it can have the comfort, so to speak, of the Bible while maintaining the traditional status quo, and that, we think, is the mess that we're in. We're suggesting that there's a very simple system outlined throughout the New Testament. The seed message of the gospel of the kingdom contains within it the spiritual information designed to spark the new life or rebirth it provides the means by which we're to be reborn to start all over again now God causes that rebirth through this word or seed and it launches us into a living hope 1st Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 and that hope is the hope of inheriting the kingdom of God in the future at the return of Jesus and gaining immortality as a co-regent and co-ruler with Christ in the future messianic kingdom. No wonder then that Paul speaks of, quote, the health-giving words, namely the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 Not for one moment has Paul abandoned the teaching of Christ, as some today seem to think. Paul always looked back to the original teaching of the historical Messiah, and he did not part company with Jesus at any point, except, perhaps we might say, in certain matters of the law, where Paul, under the inspiration of the risen Jesus, freed the church from the obligation to observe some of the laws which Jesus himself had kept prior to his death. Some say that the kingdom of God is not part of the gospel, but merely of interest to students of prophecy. Now, this theory overlooks two basic facts, First of all, Jesus calls the gospel the gospel about the kingdom, Matthew 13, verse 19, and Luke chapter 4, verse 43, and many other texts. Philip and Paul preached the kingdom as the gospel, Acts 8, verse 12, Acts 19, verse 8, Acts 20, verse 25, and Acts 28, 23, and 31. The gospel of the kingdom is equivalent to the word of the kingdom in Matthew 13, 19. And these phrases are identical in meaning to the word of God, or the word of the Lord, or even the gospel of God. They also appear in the New Testament in the shortened form of the word and the gospel. Another synonym for the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of Christ, or the gospel of salvation, or the gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20, verse 24. The same message of the kingdom appears also as the word of truth, or simply the truth. All these terms are traced to the parent text given by Jesus, the gospel or word about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and of course there's no difference at all in the Bible between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now in John's account of Jesus' ministry, the same gospel is called simply the word or the words of Jesus and sometimes the testimony of Jesus. Many Bible readers seem never to have grasped the meaning of the gospel as it originated with the historical Jesus. And to reassure you that the gospel did indeed go back to the first preaching of Jesus, we refer you to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. There's only one gospel, and it's the gospel about the kingdom, as proclaimed first by Jesus when he was here on earth. Now, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the same gospel, what Matthew 24:15 calls this gospel about the kingdom, is to be announced until the end of the age, when Jesus will return to inaugurate the kingdom of God on the earth. The kingdom, then, is the Christian hope, as well as the subject of the gospel. Reception of the gospel message and hope bears on everything we do in the present. The kingdom message is the dynamic working in our lives today and drawing us towards our goal, and that goal is to inherit the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. We find Paul saying that very thing in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. He's rejoicing there that his converts had received the word, the message of the kingdom, which he said was at work in them. The Greek word there suggests an energy, a force, a driving power in their lives. That essential saving seed, the message of the kingdom of God, as originally preached by Jesus himself. Now, one of the reasons why this simple matter is not better understood is the fact that Luther himself seems to have been quite confused about the nature of the gospel. Luther said that there's more gospel in the epistles of Paul than there is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We want to go on record as saying that that is fundamentally false to the New Testament documents. Jesus is the originating preacher of the gospel, the original herald of the kingdom of God message, which is the message of salvation. You can prove that very easily by looking at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. The author of the book of Hebrews clearly says that the gospel first began to be preached by Jesus, and was confirmed then later to the writer of the Hebrews and his friends by those who heard Jesus preach that gospel. All gospel preaching goes back to the message as it was first proclaimed by Jesus Christ, He is the founding father of the gospel message. You cannot bypass the teachings of Jesus and rush to Paul and imagine that you can get the gospel out of Paul without reference to Jesus. You see, when Paul wrote epistles, he assumed a great deal of information because he was writing at second level, so to speak. He was not preaching the gospel first time to those to whom he wrote his epistles. On the other hand, Jesus confronted the public At the first level, he announced the gospel of the kingdom to them. He got them initiated in the way that leads to salvation. If you want to find out what Paul preached about the gospel, then look in the book of Acts first, and listen carefully to Paul's own words in Acts 20, verse 25, where he equates the preaching of the kingdom with the gospel of the grace of God. Paul has not changed the gospel. He's not abandoned the gospel of Jesus, and yet today when you hear preachers preach, You would think that Jesus had preached no gospel. You'd imagine that Jesus only did three days' work. You might think that he only came to die and to be buried and to to rise again, but that's not the totality of the gospel. Jesus labored for three and a half years before his death to preach the gospel. Paul in Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the message of Messiah, Messiah's preaching, teaching of the gospel as it fell from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. We invite you to request from us our article on the nature of the Christian gospel. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.